Ready to add a big dose of positivity and empowered perspective to your day? You've come to the right place. Welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Here, we tackle everything from imposter syndrome and confidence building to the best advice on how to lead yourself through life pivots, including the ones that knock you flat. For the past three years, I've talked to hundreds of experts about their stories. Here, you'll find their actionable advice and lessons, as well as my own tools that you can put to use in your own life. Stick around. I think you'll find this investment in you well worth it. What can mindfulness really do for you? My guests on the podcast today are going to answer that question and share so much great information. Doro Bush Cook and Trisha Riley Cook, who are best friends, sisters-in-law, and business partners, have been practicing and teaching mindfulness now for more than 25 years. Their company, called Bright, Bold, and Real Wellness, or BBR, helps people tap into and live with greater awareness of the mind-body connection. Most recently, the duo has been applying their focus and their teaching to something that they call co-mindfulness. We're going to get into all of this in our conversation today. We'll talk about what that means and how it can help improve our relationships with others. Doro and Tricia also have a very successful weekly podcast called Health Gig, where they talk to an incredible array of folks about health and wellness and the role that mindfulness plays in their lives. As an aside, I was incredibly honored to join them on an episode of Health Gig recently, and I believe that episode will air later this month, so I'll share that with you as soon as it posts. For now, though... Doro and Trisha, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. We are so- Thank you, Laura. We're so happy to be with you, Laura. Thank you for inviting us. Well, yeah, I am so you. delighted to be with you. As I mentioned in the open, I was really humbled and honored to join the two of you on Health Gig, which I know will be airing, I think, later this month. Um, and I was just beyond honored to be part of your amazing podcast. So oh, I listen to it regularly. You. I know a lot of my listeners do as well. So it's fabulous. It, for those who don't, it's called Health Gig and it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Laura, we love that you were on it. <laughs> well, I loved it. I really loved it. Okay. So for those who don't know, I would love for each of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Dora, you want to start? Sure. So, <laughs> um, so I am first and foremost a mother of four. Um, I do a lot of things in my life, but the primary thing I do is I'm a co-founder of this business called BBNR Wellness Consulting with Trisha. And as you mentioned, we have a podcast, but we also do a million other things that we'll talk about later. Um, but Trisha and I, our children, we both have four children. Our children grew up together. Um, she and I are neighbors and our kids went to the same schools and we bonded and started our business together because I think we're outlaws in our family. <laughs> so, um, in what respect? Well, we are married to brothers. Um, Trisha 
lost her husband um, six over six years ago, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. but they were best friends, and mm-hmm. so Trisha and I became great close friends, and um, yeah, so that's that's who I am. Um, in relation to our business and then who i am otherwise is um you know i know you laura from um the work you did with my brother who was the president of the united states i had a father who was also president of the united states but more importantly i have I'm from a very loving large family i have four brothers who i absolutely and trisha has a similar situation which might might be another reason we bonded, but um, I absolutely adore my brothers, and um, I spend I'm fortunate to spend a lot of time with them because we live in in part of the year we live near each other, and um, and that just is a very meaningful part of my life to be near them, um, and I'm fortunate to have had parents that helped us be a very loving family. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's who I am, I think. Um, There's probably more to me, but. (laughs) Well, I can think of one thing in particular that I know is very important and near and dear to your heart, and that is little Dottie. You have a new grandbaby, or she's relatively new. (laughs) I have a brand new grandbaby who's almost going to be six months old at the end of the month, and um, we are gaga over her. So, I mean, every She's little adorable. thing she does is just the most exciting thing in the world. So, um, and I also am the chairman of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy, which is um, an important part of my life. And Trisha Cook serves on the board with me. Um, she and I do a lot of things together, and um, it, it makes our work much more joyful. But you need to hear about her because she's amazing. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Over to Trisha. Yeah, Trisha, tell so us about my, you. My brother or my father were not United States president. <laughs> but they were amazing That's people. Like, yeah, they're amazing. They're amazing. Yes, they, were they not. are. Um, Yeah, as Dora said, we're sister-in-laws. So our husbands were brothers. And um, so when Doro came into the Cook family, I had been there for several years, a couple of years. And um, so it was pretty exciting when Dora joined the family. And then I got to know her as a sister-in-law. And at that time, your dad was president. Mm-hmm. So imagine our lives, Laura. You know, we go from just, you know, doing our thing to like, whoa, Bobby's dating Doro? <laughs> awesome. So that was exciting. And and um, so then Doro and I, um, as she mentioned, our kids are pair up. So it's boy, girl, boy, boy, girl, and they pair up and they went to the same school. So that draw drew us together. So we spent a lot of time together. And, and while we were doing different things, um, we found that we had a lot in common. So we would hike together. We played tennis together. We did all of that together. And then, of course, started campaigning um, for Doro's brother. And your, we did work for your father together and then also for her brother. So we would go and do some awesome trips. And we did projects for the um, president when he was president. So that was all what we did during that time. Um, and then we also... And I mean, really fun, fun things like UN assignments, right, Doro, State Department assignments. We often got assignments to um, go out to do national parks. So we were kind of doing things as we were together. And one of the things that was happening was, um, you know, there was a lot of stress that Doro 
had in her family and I had in my family. And so we would start discovering mindfulness and we would discover what meditation looked like. So we, our conversations often would go around that. And then one thing led to another. Doro's father asked her to write his book about him, right, Doro? Uh, my father, my president, is a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and um, Doro asked me to be part of that project too. So that was really fun. And that spent, we spent several years, a couple of years doing that. And, um, and again, just delving into her father's life and, and um, really um, interviewing hundreds of people, hundreds, right, Doro, is how we researched for that book and traveled all over um, to write that book. And so that was a lot of fun. And then after that, Dora's brother became president. We did all the projects. And then we um, decided that mindfulness meant a lot to us. I started, I went back to become a health coach. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, our kids are growing up. So we do have our four children over there <laughs> doing Eight it probably. All together. It all together and we had our dogs and our husbands. So we were busy and we were, both of us were very active in our school boards, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we, um, I don't know, we, I went back to become a health coach, which meant that I went to New York City once a month to school and um, and I would study about things that I thought were really interesting and I would come back and tell Doro all about it mm -hmm. and teach her. And then one thing led to another, right, Doro? And then people started asking us to gather moms together, you know, like after soccer games, they would be like, God, could you come over? Could we all talk about, you know, what it means to be healthy? And so we would do that. And then we, um, we would be asked to go to the schools. And then from then we, then we were asked to go to corporations. And then it was 10 years ago that we partnered with Georgetown University nice. and started the Achieving Optimal Health Conference. And so that's when it kind of blew up in the sense that we, um, you know, hundreds of people would come to this conference where what we think we do, we do best and really like to do is connect people on how to become their healthiest versions of themselves and to create the lives that they want to live. And understanding that in this lifetime, we kind of can do that. We do have control over our life because if we can learn how to manage our thoughts, it changes the way we look at our lives. So that's kind of our story, right, Doro? Mm -hmm. And and except I guess our story together. You, our story together, except for you come from the most wonderful family. I have a wonderful family. I do, I do. And sisters, My mom's, and I've and always sisters. wanted to have sisters and Trisha, <laughs> Trisha and her sisters are like my sisters. Yeah, and she's yeah, got these two wonderful sisters and a brother who's They're quite amazing and another brother who's no longer with us, but he had Down syndrome and he was honestly the center of <laughs> Trisha's family because everything revolved around TJ. And I have to tell you, it's a gift <laughs> because he was, everyone in that family is the most compassionate, caring person, all because of, I think, um, your amazing brother, TJ. Yeah, I think he, he just was our oldest brother. Thank you, Dora, for those kind words. He was our oldest brother, and then we were... Um, you know, born quickly thereafter. Mm -hmm. So there were five of us in total. And so TJ really set the tone for our family, you know, yeah. and, and um, we, we were kind of raised believing that we were um, really lucky that, you know, we had an angel amongst mm -hmm. us. And um, so that, that was really amazing to have him as our brother. So thank you, Doro. <laughs> yeah. True. Mm -hmm. So this whole, the whole focus on mindfulness though, I mean, I know you really began to dig into the, to the subject matter when you went back to school to get this this health certificate, but it sounds like it's something that at least was somewhat present in your in your life. I mean, thinking back twenty years ago, 
people weren't talking about and focused as much on mindfulness as they are now. And I would argue maybe people could focus a little more on it. We'll get into that. But maybe talk a little bit about, was there an experience that you had or something that really led you to this, this work? Or was it just something that, oh, this sounds interesting. Let's try this. I mean, how did uh, that kind of evolve? And how, what was your, what, what really got you hooked on this idea? Well, in, in my case, well, in Trisha's case, she had a grandmother who um, was well before her time, who taught her mm -hmm. um, the importance of mindfulness. I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh -huh. And so, and our grandmother used to, she was on the East Coast and she used to come out. We were really small. She used to come out and visit ashrams, you know, back then. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and she was really into health and wellness and, to, and all the stuff that we talk about now. And it's funny because I found some of her old newsletters and she was talking about vitamin C and the whole idea of, you know, your spiritual health, which for her was through mindfulness and uh -huh. she had a really strong faith. So yeah, she taught us about, um, mindfulness way back. So yeah. so we were aware of it. And then in California, they kind of talked about it a little bit more. Well, and it sounds like hers was was maybe connected to her spirituality and to her religion. Yes, yes. It was, she would meditate and the ashrams were not, she was Catholic, mm -hmm. but she, the ashrams weren't, but she was able to do the thing where she saw the difference and that she felt becoming this um, mindful person helped her serve better in the world. Which yeah. we actually teach. <laughs> yeah. And so Trisha was uh, aware of mindfulness. Um, and I think during the campaign, when, mm -hmm. when um, I would, you know, it was stressful, as you know, and reading things that aren't true about your family or because for me, politics is personal. And so I would sit there and I'd get so mad and I'd just be, you know, and my emotions would be going and Trisha introduced me to mindfulness and it was just, it just changed it changed my life to be, to understand what mindfulness really is and to understand that the health of the mind is equally as mm -hmm. important as the health of our bodies because it's the minds that determine the quality of our lives. And so listening to this crazy thoughts in our head all day is really not a good way to live. And, um, yet we believe everything that's in our heads. And the truth is none of that. Those are only thoughts and they're not necessarily true. And we spend lots of time, you know, in the gym working out because we understand <laughs> that, you know, we know that, you know, that's good for us or that's, but the question we always ask is why don't we spend more time training our minds? Because it right. is our minds that determine the quality of our lives every minute of every moment of every day. Yeah. So that's where I think for Trisha, she had her, she had it, had the background of mindfulness. And then for me during these stressful moments during campaigns is when it came yeah. in Let's let for for those who are not as familiar with mindfulness practices, maybe give us a few examples of how you help somebody who's never really focused on this, right? How do you help them get started with mindfulness? What are a couple of basic introductory either exercises or just approaches or ways of thinking about it? 
Well, I think, you know, one thing that Dora and I have explored in these over two decades of doing this is that, to, again, it's um, it really is attainable. And if you can think of a place when you're doing something that you get lost in, you know, like you get lost in and it's something you love and all of a sudden you look up and you've been sitting there for two hours and it feels just this a minute. That's kind of staying in the present moment, right, Doro? That's like feeling yourself right here, right now in this present moment. So oftentimes when we're coaching people about how do they start a practice, we ask them to sort of think about that. Like, where have you been where you're feeling calm and that you're really seeing everything, right? That's, a, that's something that you kind of really enjoy. So how do you take that and become aware of that? Mm-hmm. And that's just a really good place to start. So we say, you know, it doesn't have to be on the pillow. It really doesn't. It has, doesn't have to be silent. You can get the benefits of mindfulness by doing, by hiking, by, um, you know, doing yoga, of course, you know, following your breath work, just the idea of where you can be in that moment and see what's there right now in that moment. Right, Doro? Mm-hmm. And just the idea that people have a notion about mindfulness that you're in this or meditation. And, and by the way, um, mindfulness is paying attention. This is the John Kabat-Zinn definition, which makes the most sense to us. And it's paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And then Trish and I always like to add, with kindness, be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, and meditation is the formal practice of mindfulness, where you're sitting on a pillow. And as Trisha said, you don't always have to sit on a pillow. You can be mindful in all the mundane daily activities of life, whatever it is um, that can be an anchor, like your breath, that can bring you back from your mind wandering. And the thing about mindfulness and meditation is your mind's going to wander because we're human beings. So the practice, and you can do it anywhere, anytime, is noticing when your mind wanders mm-hmm. off and bringing it back. Mm-hmm. So because that's where the muscle gets burnt. The muscle is built then because, you know, you're bringing yeah. it back. And that's mm-hmm. the practice. Mm-hmm. And that's like practicing the piano. Um, you have to practice. Um, practicing mindfulness is, as Trisha said, just coming back. And yeah. where we start with that, Lord, too, is fi- telling people that, you know, it's as easy as, well, it's, it's easy and it's not easy, but get up in the morning and find something that you do every morning. If it's making your bed every morning, you make your bed every morning as if it's the first time you've ever made it. And the idea is that you make it, don't turn, have the television off, try not to have anything going on and just really pay attention with pulling up the covers and, you know, just being in that moment, making your bed. Oftentimes people use brushing their teeth, mm-hmm. you know, in the first, first thing in the morning, brushing their teeth and really concentrating on brushing their teeth, not thinking about what I'm going to do later, not Mm -hmm. what I did or all that, just being right there. And that's just being mindful. And that's the practice staying here in the present moment. Is it, is it, is there also an element of gratitude that's built into that? I mean, I, I, as I'm hearing you talk about this and as I'm doing these things, like oftentimes I'm trying to also focus on uh, maintaining positivity, especially right now, right? So as I'm going through these <laughs> these different things, as I feel negative thoughts, sometimes I'll work to really sort of flip that around. You know, the fact that I have a bed to make, <laughs> the fact that there is running water for brushing my teeth, like little stuff like that. Talk about the role of gratitude as it relates to this this notion of mindfulness. 
you're right about negative thoughts. I mean, we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day and most of them are negative. And so <laughs> how and, and playing on a loop, right? It is. Loop, loop de loop. <laughs> it's so true. And we get stuck. We literally get stuck in this negative thinking. And the practice of mindfulness is is how we get out of that. But um the practice of mindfulness, when you bring um yourself back to the present moment, it opens up space. Um it opens up because you've let these thoughts go and you've opened up space for gratitude to come in. When you're stuck in that negative loop, there's no, you can't, there's no place for gratitude. There really isn't. I mean, you can't because you're, you're constantly, the monkey mind is going. So, you know, if you can, you know, and, and it's a little bit of work, but if you can, just manage those negative thoughts like they're clouds mm -hmm. in the sky and watch them, you know, acknowledge them and say, hmm, my, my go-to negative thought is, I'm so fat. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't judge me, but that's my negative thought. It's constant. <laughs> and I, I try to sit and look at it in a bubble and just go, there's that dang thing again. There it is. All right. Just go on, mm -hmm. go on your way. And then space is opened up for me to, and my heart opens up to be able to say, I am so lucky. I, you know, or I'm healthy. Um, I'm, you know, I'm active, I'm strong. And that comes with practicing managing these negative thoughts. Yeah. But gratitude is certainly a mindfulness practice for sure. You know, it really is. Cause it's like, as Dora was saying, it's like choosing which way you want to show up in this world, which way you want your body to think is happening. Cause your body just believes what your mind tells it. So that's why it's really important to get our, our, our mental wellness in check. Cause then it does determine our whole body's wellness, but yeah, yeah. gratitude is a wonderful practice. Yeah. So I'm, you know, we are in this, I would say a moment in time, although it feels like years at this point, but super stressful for everybody for a host of reasons. Everyone's experience is a little bit different, but it is, but it is different than what anyone would have anticipated. It's very difficult. It's hard. It's stressful. How has what we're going through right now with this pandemic and all the related stresses associated with it. How has this evolved, if at all, the way you think about helping people and the way you think about this idea of mindfulness? So I think it's it's been a really, as you say, such a crazy time. And and um, a project that Dora and I sort of started several years ago was realizing, we call it the co-mindfulness project, realizing that, you know, a lot of our mindfulness practices um, are, are about ourselves and we sit and we're quiet and, and that is amazing and you get so many benefits. But we also saw 
most recently in these past 24 months, actually before the pandemic, we started doing work with some science, other scientists, neuroscientists, and we started to see that study after study is showing that it's our relationships and how strong our relationships are that determine how healthy and happy we are in this lifetime. So we really started focusing on that. And then we, we had some wonderful experiences, Dora. I'll let you share with everybody some of those experiences that prompted us to start doing some research, some work on what would it mean to create a mindfulness practice in relationship with others. Yeah. So we've developed a method or a practice and we call it co-mindfulness. And that in a way, although the seeds were um, planted before the pandemic, certainly this was really kind of moved up because people want to figure out how do I do better with the people that I love. And then now the science is showing that you might want to because it's really beneficial to you to have healthy relationships because guess what? You're going to live happier and longer. So Doro, maybe you can explain to them some of the conversations that we've had and some of the awesome experiences with with um, incredible teachers that well, really brought us to the method. Well, um, Trish and I had the opportunity to meet the Dalai Lama, which was very thrilling um, because we had studied and being big followers of His Holiness for a long time. And we had the opportunity to um, ask him about um, mindfulness and the best way to practice, in his opinion. And to our surprise, his answer was not meditation, but compassion and taking care of others. So that inspired us to... Um, look into this um, practice rooted in relationships. And then we had this really fun opportunity to meet this woman named Ama. And mm. I would just encourage everyone to <laughs> look up Ama. Um, but we met her on her tour stop in DC and she's from India and she was someone who was deeply affected by the suffering in the world. And she began to spontaneously hug people. And her, she has this huge organization, um, and it, it, it's expanded into this huge humanitarian platform, um, which includes food and shelter and education and healthcare. And she goes. And she has a she has a she has a nickname, right? Isn't she called the Hugging, the hugging Saint? Saint? Yeah. A hugging saint and it's amazing but but she goes around the country and i'm telling you the lines are around buildings to yeah. to be hugged by ama and trish and i were hugged by ama and it, yeah. it it's it, it was amazing and we know that hugs don't just feel good that um when you're hugged it creates a waterfall of chemicals like oxytocin and dopamine and um which you know, can relieve all kinds of physical, emotional pains, and um, it can boost your immunity, and so many benefits to hugging. But anyway, she inspired <laughs> us because of her connection with people. And um, so those were our biggest inspirations for Comine. Yeah. 
Tell me more about meeting the Dalai Lama. I just, I can't even imagine how awe-inspiring that must have been. It was fun. It really was. It really was. We, we were just so honored, right, Dora? Yeah, we went out to the Center for Healthy Minds in in um, the um, at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, there's a famous neuroscientist named Richie Davidson who hosted... Um, the the conference where he the his holiness spoke and he was he's a good friend of the Dalai Lama Richie uh -huh. and um and Richie studied at, the Dalai Lama actually tasked Richie with studying um rather than studying depression and all the different things anxiety and he'd been studying he tasked Richie with studying the positive qualities of the mind um, and what makes people happy and um, so so that's where we met him and um, we had our picture taken with him too which we <laughs> cherished that after picture our after our and he was wearing his W hat I gave him a W hat because he and <laughs> oh, George right. W. Bush are, are also good friends that's so wonderful that's so wonderful okay so we're not going to talk about politics per se on this <laughs> on the podcast today but People are, I think it's fair to say, unhappy. And it's not just the pandemic and it's not just politics. It's really this underlying angst that people have. And it has been exacerbated by these, by these elements that create uncertainty, that create stress and fear. Maybe talk a bit about how your practice and this idea of co-mindfulness can help people get to a point where they're able to get along better, maybe able to recalibrate the way that they're thinking about the world. Maybe talk about the impact that you think co-mindfulness can have on how people are facing each other and dealing with each other. It's not just family members, even though sometimes it can be family members, right? But really this idea of getting along with those who have different point of view. Well, you know, the first step or the first principle of co-mindfulness is giving someone your full attention. And, and if you think about that, you know, really sitting and listening and, and then the steps that, that we're instructed to do are don't talk first, let them, let your person talk, let them know that you're listening to them by asking them questions. And so often we enter into relationships and conversation, really not to know what they want to know, what they want to say, but rather what we want to say, right? Yeah. Like we're sitting there kind of like, okay, hurry up. Cause I have this to say, <laughs> or, or I know because that happened to me, you know, but, but when people study after study shows that when people feel that they're heard and they're being listened to, there's a whole different kind of relationship than if they're not being heard and they're not feeling it. So that's the number one step, the first step in co-mindfulness. And then the second step is, is then after that happens, try to lead with curiosity rather than judgment because there's so much polar, right? We are so, oh, and try to just really enter into that with just complete curiosity, with no judgment. And, you know, you're using your breath work to kind of keep you there, right? And so that's like the second step. And it's a practice. I mean, just like Dora was explaining what a mindfulness practice is, and that's why it's a practice. You know, it's like you do it, you get stronger at it, you mm -hmm. do it, you get stronger at it because you're staying in the moment. And then the third step is letting go of expectations, you know, like just like... <laughs> 
the idea of like, no, you're going to do what I want because I'm going to tell you this and then it's going to make sense. And then we're going to do it this way. Right. Mm -hmm. But you got to let go of those expectations and just be there with what happens. Right. Dora, letting go of expectations is kind of a, kind of a life changing concept and you hear it over and over again, but it's really important and particularly in relationship with somebody. And then the other is, you know, uh, the next step would be committing to the truth, which is kind of important because this is where when maybe people don't agree on things and people have different truths, but is really staying true to what you believe, you know, in a peaceful listening, letting go kind of, um, kind of way. And again, using your breath work, because our fifth, the fifth step is using your breath work to avoid reacting. Because at this point in a conversation, you really do need to breathe, right? You need to kind of take a step and go, okay, before I react, I'm going to give some space to this. So the idea is it's, it's a method of, of, of being in relationship with somebody, like you said, not just your family member, but someone that maybe doesn't agree with you. And then always, always, always holding on to your integrity. Mm -hmm. And, and again, um, not having to be right, right, Dora, you always talk about that. You don't yeah. have to be right. But just knowing that this is this is my integrity. I am mm -hmm. who I am and this is why I believe in. And that's probably the step that we can agree to disagree, but I'm holding on to who I am. And then always, always, Doro, connecting with love, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what that looks like is really, you know, shaking your head. And if you're not going to say, I love you, because not in a lot of cases you can, but truly, truly feeling at that moment that you are connected with this person, right? Because we are so much, we feel so disconnected from each other. And how can we, how can we feel connected? And just understanding the idea that we really are in this together. And, and we actually had a really interesting woman on, on our podcast who was a peace, uh, Nobel Prize peace negotiator. And she talked a lot about, she didn't say these principles, but she kind of talked about the same theories behind them. And in the end, it's always about connecting and connecting with love. And, and for us, we can say, you know, with our heart, we can connect mm -hmm. that, but really just in general life, just understanding this person is there too, making their way through life. And it's just a wonderful way to connect and then start again, <laughs> right? Do things yeah. go back to number one, get yeah. your full attention. <laughs> But that's been, it's been really a fun pro uh, thing, project for Dora and I from years and years of doing what we're doing. And then when we're spending time and more time with Dr. Richie Davidson, and now he's working with us on this because, um, you know, he believes that well-being, as we do, that well-being is a skill. Mm -hmm. And that it's something that you can learn to do. And connectedness is huge. It's one of his four pillars. And so that's why we're so fortunate to be working with Richie. So now our program has a lot of science behind it. Yeah. So which thank is amazing. you for asking us yes, about of course. mindfulness. <laughs> yes, of course. So so I'm also struck to, um, you know, you you lay out the the path for what you should go through as you're trying to forge a connection with somebody who you know may have or does have a different point of view from you. But how do you also, to put a finer point on one element that I oftentimes hear, and I talk to a lot of college age women about getting along and bridging the divide and finding areas of common ground. And one issue that inevitably comes up is, you know, something will be said and they will be triggered emotionally, right? 
What do you do when you feel that emotional trigger go off? How do you stop yourself from over-personalizing whatever that is while still, to your point, being true to your integrity and your and your emotional well-being? How do you how do you make sense of all of that? Well, I think, right, Dora, the triggering is so important. And I think the first step is, you know, you're aware of it, right? That that's an immediately... I'm aware of my thoughts. I'm aware that I just was triggered. And then that's where, when you start this work and go down this path, that that's where you might sort of insert that breath work, right, Dora? Mm-hmm. Like you sort of step back and you realize that that trigger, there's something in me that's responding to that because it's in me. And, and then you get that. And then all of a sudden, you've created some space. And then all of a sudden, you have a new thought that you're going to react from rather than whatever that thought was that they that triggered. You know, you have this new thought, right, Dora? It's yeah. a new story now I'm going to show up with. <laughs> it's like a constant, like, new thoughts coming and then deciding which way you want to react or which one you want to react to. You know, um, John Kabat-Zinn came to our conference, and he is an another awesome um, teacher that Dora and I've been so lucky to be able to spend time with. And again, his whole thing is breathe, take a step and welcome everything. Like there's nothing that's against us. It's really for us. And so if you can live from that mindset, everything changes. And remembering that reactions are not automatic, that they're choices. Mm-hmm. And if we can make That's the true. space, we keep talking about making the space, but that's the awareness piece of noticing. And if we can make the choice, and Tricia referred to this quote earlier, um, but mindfulness does teach us something. And I learned this from a film called Wonder, which we have in our curriculum. And I love it. And it says, when given the choice between, between being right and being kind, you choose kind. In conflict, we need to find that space when we're triggered, step back and realize that there are other, you know, reactions and thoughts that are there and we can put our money in that other one rather than the one that's destructive or. Yeah. Which way do you want to be? Yeah. Which way, which, which one are you going to believe and then therefore act from? Mm -hmm. And as Dora said in in our curriculum, we actually have, it's funny again, how things happen. So doing our curriculum, people wanted to become coaches. So now people actually are being coached on how to bring co-mindfulness into their lives, (laughs) which has been really fun. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So your, your, your business has grown and evolved. You've added this amazing podcast, which I mentioned before that's called Health Gig. For those of you listening, if you're not familiar with he- with Health Gig, go to your favorite podcast app and mm-hmm. download it. It's really, really fantastic. Talk a bit about uh, what you've learned from the conversations that you have as part of Health Gig, because you're talking to mm. incredible, incredible people. I, I am. I don't know how the heck I scored. <laughs> you just love me because <laughs> I am not worthy to be part of that company. Oh. It's an amazing lineup of of guests that you have who are experts and. In all in all sorts of fields, including Doro's Doro's brother has mm. been has been on other family members, um, 
folks that are that are experts in health and wellness, but but really other people that just have this focus on health and wellness and how they live their lives. So I'd love to know maybe what you've learned as a result of these conversations, or maybe anything that surprised you from them. Yeah, we've we've had we've had really amazing people on the podcast, which has been so much fun. Um, you mentioned George W. Bush, um, my brother, and what we learned from him was that the idea of finding your flow in life and reinventing yourself. Um, you know, finding your flow is finding an experience that of being fully involved in an activity. And of course he's found his flow in painting. It's really his mindfulness practice. Trisha will tell you. Um, he's a very Amazing. prolific fainter, painter. Um, every, almost every day he sends me pictures of what he's, his paintings that he's working on. But the idea that, you know, here he was at the pinnacle of his career as president of the United States, um, you know, he, he did that. And then what? And sure enough, he found painting as his passion and as his practice. And that was, I just think a wonderful conversation. Yeah. And then we also talked to David Faraday, who is the wonderful Irish golf commentator. And what we learned from him was he, he had a life of addiction. He had a son who died of an overdose. He had a, you know, an amazing life on the one hand and a, and such a difficult life on the other. And the lesson of being open and honest and how it can help others. Mm-hmm. which was which was a great conversation as well. And then we talked to Krista Tippett, who is, um, she has her own podcast called On Being, which is a very well-known podcast. And she talked about how words really matter, what you yeah. say, and carefully choosing your words. And um, Trisha and I love the poet Rumi. And... He, he said that when speaking, allow your intended speech to go through three gates first. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And, and Krista talked a lot about that. That's really beautiful. Have you found that your guest, I mean, you, you mentioned this idea of evolution and adaptability as it related to your brother who spent, you know, eight eight years as president of the United States. There's no more important or or consuming job really than than that. But this idea of then having to reinvent yourself in some in some respect. Do you find that people who who uh, who have adopted these mindfulness practices are better able to maybe adapt and evolve more easily? I mean, look, we all evolve, right? Whether we're changing jobs or just in yeah. life, like that, like it's all about evolution, right? And yet it can yeah. seem like we're very ill prepared totally. for these evolutions, even though they're going to happen. It's you- so <laughs> funny that we get your question because we were talking with um, Dora the Lion's Roar editor, mm-hmm. um, Melvin, and he, he was we asked him the same question because he's been practicing mindfulness since God knows how long, you know? And I think we even said, are you free? You know, are you actually, are you free? Are you, are you living what we want so badly? Which is so bad because that means we're grasping for it. You know, we're not in the moment. And even he laughed and he said, you know, 
that's the journey. You know, it's just the journey now. And, you know, with every moment so that you're faced with something, can you implement acceptance? Can you be here in that moment? Can you be, give someone your full attention? And then, then, yeah, it seems like then that next moment can come a little easier, you know? And then, yes, and that next moment comes a little easier. But, but to, to uh, Dora and I, I mean, we've been doing the podcast now for a couple of years, loving it, interviewing, studying under people. But Dora, right, we're still beginners oh, in yeah. this world of, of um, you know, yeah, we, we, you know, change is hard for everybody, but it yeah. is a mindset, but it's a practice, you know, and it goes back to that. Yeah. But yes, I think that, yes, it gives you tools or something to, 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 to grasp onto when you are particularly faced with something challenging or a new, um, or something new. And in, in, in our case with Dora, when we started out with, um, the stress of the campaigns, you know, yeah. How can she, how could Doro in particular in those cases change her mindset that it wasn't always a personal attack? And that was a practice, right, Doro? Mm -hmm. And then take it into to life stuff now. But, but it's a good question. It is a good question. And I I mean I can speak personally that mindfulness has been life changing for me. Um in my personal relationships with other people, mm -hmm. um, in my family, um, you know, with Everything I do, I am able to understand and know that the thoughts in my head are just thoughts. They're simply mm -hmm. thoughts. And if if everyone in the world could know that, you know, that I think anxiety and depression and so many of the big problems that are out there could be could be helped because a lot of that comes from simply these thoughts we're having. I'd love to pivot a bit and have you talk about your partnership. What makes it work? It can be hard to forge a partnership with a friend or in this case, sisters-in-law who also <laughs> happen to be happen to be friends. What is it that makes your partnership work? I think there are two things, and Tricia, you add to it, but we have a huge trust between us, um, and I also think loyalty plays an enormous part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tricia knows I am beyond loyal to her, and and she also can trust me, and mm -hmm. and vice versa. I think that's really true, and I think, you know, as we go through life, particularly as we were going through with my husband's illness and the person I, the first person I called when we got the news was Doro and, and she did not leave my side or my family's side for a second. And, you know, that just means so much, but that, that came from these years of friendship and the person that you want with you when that kind of stuff happens, but then also the good stuff, you know, all the fun stuff and being together when the um, kids are having successes and Dottie's born and all the wonderful stuff, but it's just to be able to find people in your life that you can be who you are. And I think that we were lucky with that. And then, and then to be able to have um, a purpose in what we're doing now, because for us, it's really, it's really a purpose and it's really fun. And, and we're both lifelong learners. We love to learn. We love to investigate like you, Laura, we love to just see, you know, and experiment <laughs> and in particular love, um, 
the role that I think we've both kind of evolved into and didn't really intend to, but now we're sort of, um, you know, the elders, <laughs> which I don't know, right? Through, like, we didn't know that was going to happen. We started this over 20 some years ago. <laughs> now all of a sudden we're like elders and, and, um, to had somebody to go through that with and to, to and t- particularly in our business. So when we started this discussion, it was really like no one was talking about it. You right. know, how does the mind affect your body and your wellness and all that kind of stuff? And and then now to where it's really, um, you know, a lot of people know about it. And, yeah. and now we're partnered with, you know, Richie, who's going to bring the science to what we're doing. So it's just been fun. And, and again, to have somebody that you trust and that's loyal and that's a true friend, you know, yeah. really matters. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, as you think about this body of work that you have assembled so far, and you're continuing to make progress and to work on things like this idea of co-mindfulness, talk about the impact that you hope you will have had. Our hope is that our work empowers people to better care for themselves and to care for those they love and to find peace and purpose and better health in their lives. Um, I feel like if we can touch one person at a time or however it goes, um, that it's kind of like what Mother Teresa said, none of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. That's sort of the way Trisha and I do our work. And we're extremely gratified by emails or comments or or phone calls that we might get that someone says, wow, I tried this and it really changed my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we just feel lucky we can do what we do and we hope it has that kind of impact. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Tricia, maybe to you, one final piece of advice um, for our audience as it relates to thinking about and establishing and maybe sticking with um, a mindfulness program or plan. You know, it's great to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to yeah. start meditating <laughs> and I'm going to become more mindful. But what, what's the secret sauce for helping them stick with it? Well, I think it's sort of what Dora was talking about a lot is, you know, your thoughts and just kind of begin there and, and say to yourself, okay, is this, this just a thought? It's not necessarily true. And my next thought, can be a positive thought if I want it to be. And sort of little by little, kind of get yourself to a place where you really are creating a life that you love. You know, change is inevitable, as we talked earlier. Change is inevitable and nothing is for sure. So it's sort of like take these moments and build off of each one and build that muscle so that when some of the changes get a little bit harder, um, the bumps get a little bit heavier, you're a little bit stronger. And also I think the big one is breathe. Really remember to breathe. Yeah, it's beautiful. Ladies, I'm so grateful to you both. This was amazing. I can't oh, wait. Thank, thank you. you Laura. <laughs> and I know you've, you're have you working on a book on co-mindfulness, which will be out. Hopefully this um, this year, the beginning of 2022. Okay, but the sooner the better. Year, the sooner the better. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be awesome. And it's all about living in connection. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you both so much. I'm really, really grateful. Thank you. you. To learn more about my guests today, Doro Bush Cook and Trisha Riley Cook, check out the show notes for this episode. 
Also, be sure to check out their podcast, Health Gig, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's fantastic, and I promise you, it's well worth the time that you spend listening. And as always, please be sure to let me know what you think about this episode. You can contact me via the website, or you can send me a direct message via my Instagram, at Laura Cox Kaplan. And speaking of Instagram, if you're listening to this episode on your phone, please be sure to snap a screenshot and share it to your Instagram and Facebook stories. I am so grateful that you've joined us this week. I hope you've found this investment in you well worth it. I'll see you again next week. Until then, take care.